What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, March 10th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studios here in Dorchester, Massachusetts. I was joined earlier on the Skype hotline by one Christopher Price, covers the New England Patriots for WEEI and WEEI.com here in Boston. You can also check him out on the It Is What It Is blog at WEEI.com. I talked to him over the phone earlier. We discussed a lot of the NFL free agent stuff. Obviously, things are changing. This is a Tuesday, free agent Tuesday in the NFL, 4 o'clock is officially when players become free agents, but as we've seen uh, over the weekend and in the last, really, 48 hours, the free agent frenzy has has begun, and things have been reported, and they'll continue to be reported, and if you listen to this show, um, well, you might hear some new stuff that, that possibly was reported after we recorded this podcast, so keep that in mind as well. But we did talk to Christopher Price earlier this morning, and uh, we'll play that audio for you and that conversation in just a few minutes. We talked a lot about Revis, McCordy, even into Brandon Browner, what the Patriots could do with him. Uh, the news is that the Patriots are going to allow him to go out and, and see what his value is. I, I would hope they bring Browner back. Obviously, you can't bring everybody back because you do have a salary cap and you got money that you have to spend. You need to spend money on Darrell Rivas, though. You have to do it. And we sit here and we wait. What will happen? They've declined the $20 million option. To nobody's surprise, really, or at least you should not be surprised about that. This was never about the $20 million option in the second year. They were never going to pick that up. Um, But what I expected them to do was not pick it up and agree to a multi-year deal during the season. That never happened. So here we are now waiting for the 4 o'clock deadline tonight and um, to see what the Patriots do with Revis. You know, do they let him after 4 o'clock test free agency? Or do they lock him up to a deal here beforehand? Now, technically, Revis and his camp, look, Make no mistake about it. They've talked to other teams. And I actually think it's crazy if they didn't know what his market value would be during the season. You know, I I just feel like even last offseason, they could have projected a certain type of number that they could have possibly received this offseason given the fact that they probably knew that $20 million option was not going to be picked up. It was just an unrealistic thing. We called it a placeholder all season long with regards to Revis's two-year deal, right? It really was never a two-year deal. Um, so, I mean, I think that his camp probably knew what they were going to get anyways out in the market. It, I have one concern in all this, and you've heard me over the last couple of days. It's that some GM in the National Football League gets fucking crazy here in the next 24 hours and offers Darrell Revis a monster contract you know, makes him the highest paid player in the game. And, you know, basically a GM says, fuck it, we're going to give it to him. Right? <laughs> to the point where the, even the Patriots would say, wow, we know how much he's worth, but we can't match that. I mean, we have a football team to put together. And I know we've talked about the Jets. And if you li- when you listen to my conversation with Chris Price, he throws out another team with regards to Revis outside of the Jets that could see serious interest. But I have a team that nobody's really talking about with regards to anything. Anything. And I'm concerned about that. They've been really quiet. And it's a guy that doesn't like to really be quiet. Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys. When I look at the Cowboys today, and, and, and this is me, yeah, this is me throwing something against the wall. Right, that that's this is what I'm doing here. This is there's no report that the Cowboys and Revis. So don't take this and run with it and say, oh, Picard's reporting the Cowboys and Revis going to agree to a deal. No, I never fucking said that. What I'm saying is, watch the Cowboys scare me because we haven't been talking about them. One, two, they just made a move to restructure, um, one of their tackle, their left tackle. They restructured his deal and they freed up eight million dollars in salary. That gives them 11 million under the, that makes them what? 11 million under the cap. They fran- they gave the franchise tag to Des Bryant. Sources are telling 
ESPN that the Cowboys have not even called running back DeMarco Murray, who was an absolute beast last year. So you wonder if he's even going to return to Dallas. The other thing that they could do, and you got to watch out for this here the next couple days, I think, is Tony Romo has the NFL's highest cap hit in 2015. You know what it is? $27.7 million. So let's just say that's 28. Let's say it's 28. Tony Romo, they're going to pay him 28. That's He's going to take a $28 million cap hit. You know, we're in a league in which you, you get guys restructuring all the time. And when you look around at the league at the quarterbacks and some of the successful ones, a guy like Tom Brady, who has done things to his deal to free up space elsewhere in whatever fashion he may do so, and whatever type of money he might free up for the team, he does so. You wonder if the Cowboys and Tony Romo will somehow restructure this. Uh, it's just something that I think about. And what I read here today is that the Cowboys still have the option of creating about $12.8 million more salary cap space if they choose to restructure Romo's contract again. Um... The Cowboys, they, they say they, they would rather not do that. But if Romo wanted to do it, that would free up some space. And it would give them a whole lot of money to spend. And if the Cowboys have a whole lot of money to spend, I just wonder how much they would be willing to throw at the best cornerback in football. Right? Because if they're not going to bring DeMarco Murray back, at least one thing that tells me is that maybe they understand that they need to do some things defensively, um, you know, and and people tell me, well, you know, do they need Revis? Well, what do you mean? If Revis is available, you know, if if you can just have him by signing a paycheck, why would you not? Why would you not bring Revis in? And if Revis becomes a free agent, which he could do today at four o'clock, my fear is that there's one guy that's going to get nuts. And one guy that I fear, after reading a story the last 24 hours about the Cowboys uh, restructuring their left tackle to create, to free up $8 million in salary cap space, and possibly the idea is, is, it seems logical that they could even restructure Tony Romo's contract a little bit to free up even more cap space. I'm, I have a concern about that. People ask me, what is your, deep down, Danny, what's your concern? about Darrell Revis. I, I tell you my concern. I have a concern that somebody's going to spend an outrageous amount just to bring Revis in. Just to bring him in. And the Patriots are going to lose out on the best cornerback in football, and they will not upgrade at that position. They may be able to make some type of trade to bring in a, a decent, a good, a solid cornerback, but that's not going to get the job done. I'm sorry, it's not. So uh, that's my concern is that somebody's going to get crazy. And that someone, people seem to think it's the Jets, right? And, and, you know, they say, well, would he go Would he go to the Jets? Here's the deal. Revis has two options. Make slightly more money in New York or take a little less money in New England and win. See, I wish that wouldn't be the option with the Patriots. I wish with the Patriots it would be, well, match whatever the Jets are going to give them and win. You know, and give them the chance to win. So give them both. Give them the money and the chance to win. I wish that would be the option here instead of these two crazy options, one or the other, money or winning. Why not here in New England give them both? And even if that means doing something else, restructuring Nate Solder, uh, I mean, just get rid of Mayo. I don't care. He hasn't, even been, he hasn't even been on the field in the last two years. They went to an AFC championship and they won a Super Bowl. So what do I need him for? I don't. Um, they, but hey, as long as he's going to test the free agent market, it's fair game to him signing wherever he wants. And if there's someone out there that's willing to get, uh, to get nuts, hey, I have a concern that maybe it's not even the Jets. Maybe it's a team we're not talking about. We've seen teams swoop in out of nowhere. To me, the Cowboys have been way too quiet. And I Look, I'm just throwing this against the wall. I'm, you could say, yeah, Danny, you're pulling us out of your ass. You know what? I am. But I'm doing it with, I think, some logic that doesn't it, doesn't it seem like the Cowboys have some major move to make? Think about this. 
the Cowboys lost last year, and we know how it ended. The Des Bryant catch, no catch, what was it? Uh, you know, they lose to Green Bay. For once, the Dallas Cowboys looked at this season and even in the playoffs and said, wow, we lost, but it wasn't because of Tony Romo. It wasn't because of Tony Romo that we lost, right? It wasn't. So I think that's a positive. I think the Cowboys, as crazy as it sounds, that is a, a step in the right direction. Losing, but not losing because of Tony Romo. Step in the right direction if you're a Cowboy fan. But you need to, you need to build on that. And I think one way that you should build on it, if you look around the league and see what's dominated the last couple of years and what has resulted in championships is having those shutdown guys in the secondary, right? Having the shutdown guys in the secondary. And if the best cornerback in the league is available and your team has money to spend because you're not bringing your superstar running back uh, back next season and... You're restructuring deals to free up $8 million in cap space the last 24 hours, and you may even be able to still, if you wanted to, restructure Tony Romo's deal that's going to be a $28 million cap hit next season. Well, yes, they scam me a little bit, and especially, especially that we're not talking about them, right? People have narrowed it down. The insiders, they say, no, it's Jets and the Patriots. That's it. That's it. Just the Jets and the Patriots. Nobody out there is being sneaky. Nobody out there is being sneaky to the point where they make one phone call and they say, what do you want? Here's a blank check. You write it down. I'll match it. Jerry Jones is the guy to do that? If there's anybody that could do it, it's him. So that's my fear. That's Deep down inside, I have a big-time concern that Revis is not back. I'd love to see him back. I want him back. I think the Patriots would be foolish not to do everything they can to keep Revis here and not even – not even let you know. Not even let this four o'clock deadline pass today. Just get them, lock them in uh, t- this afternoon. Figure it out. But well, it's, we're in wait and see mode with that one. And I'm tell you, I'm on the edge of my seat because I do have that concern about a team sneaking in and getting nuts like Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. I'm just throwing that against the wall. I'm just taking that team, pulling that out there. But I don't. I, I think I do it with some logic. Uh, that gives me reason, every reason in the world to be concerned. And maybe the biggest one is that uh, they've been awfully quiet. Cowboys have been awfully quiet, especially after a postseason in which I do think they took a step in the right direction. They didn't, you know, they didn't win. They didn't win at all. But I definitely think, you know, they. But when you can say as a Cowboy fan, hey, we lost, but we didn't lose because of Tony Romo, well, you, you take the good with the bad, and that's, that's the good. The bad is that you lost earlier than you wanted to, but I think you build on it. I think you certainly can build on it. And if you're the Cowboys and you think you can start winning with Romo in the playoffs, well, it, it, you need to have that begin soon, right? Because he's, he's, he's no youngster anymore. And he did play through some serious through a serious back injury last year. You know, as, as you get older, the less you'll be able to play with that type of injury. So uh, NFL free agency is... In full swing, you know, again, officially, I guess today, 4 o'clock is when it begins. But we know players have been signing. Uh, players have been on the move. We've mentioned some of the deals. There's some more free agents available. Andre Johnson has been cut. Um, Frank Gore, who we thought signed with the Eagles, pulls out of that deal. Now they're saying Frank Gore could go to the Colts. Julius Thomas signs with the Jaguars. $9 million a season for Julius Thomas. Uh, news this morning, the Jets released Percy Hovind. He had a huge cap hit coming up this season. Uh, you wonder if the Patriots would be available, f- you know, if, if the Patriots would be basically, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't, I see his, forget about receivers. And but we're going to talk about that. And people here in New England are going to bring it up. Anytime a, a, a big name is available, Percy Hovind, Andre Johnson, to me, it's you got to focus on the defense here. That's what you got to do. You got to focus on Revis. Forget about the receivers. Brady threw touchdowns to four different receivers in the Super Bowl. To me, it's all about the offensive line. They got, they have the receivers. They got the receivers right now. Um, I get that those that receiving core looks different. If a guy like Gronk is hurt or a guy like Edelman is hurt, I get it looks different. But I'm 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 okay with what they have at the receiver position. Shane Vereen. What happens with him? They're saying Giants or Jets. He might not be back. Well, Vereen's going to go get paid, right? Um, 11 catches? 11 catches in the Super Bowl. Go get paid. 
He had a nice season. Yeah, one of five backs in the NFL with at least 50 carries and 50 catches. Go get paid. And it probably won't be here. Probably won't be here. But the Patriots, I don't think, should be sitting here focusing on offense right now. They should be focusing on their defense and making sure that they're bringing back the best cornerback in football. That's what they should be doing. So people might want to talk about guys like Percy Harvin, who had just released, guys like Andre Johnson, who had just released, um, maybe even uh, Roy Hellu Jr., you know, I, I, maybe. Maybe they want to talk about him. I, I don't know. I'm not focused on that right now. I'm focused on defense. Brandon Browner, another name. I mean, you got to bring him back too. But apparently they're going to let him see what his value is around the league to say, hey, come back to us. If you're Browner, you should come back to the Patriots and say, hey, here's what teams are offering. But again, you risk a team saying, getting a little crazy. Now, I'm more concerned with the Revis thing than the Browner thing, but, the you know, the Browner concern is still there a little bit. You know, they bring McCourty back, but I'd like to bring them all back. And I'd like to bring the defensive guys back here, McCourty, Browner, and Revis, more than I'm sitting here uh, begging for the Patriots to go get a receiver in Percy Harvin or Andre Johnson or even bring Vereen back. I like Vereen. I've been a big Vereen fan, but, you know, if it means giving the money that he wants to keep this defense intact, I'm all for it. I am absolutely all for it. So there you have the NFL free agent updates. Obviously, some things are going to change by the time you listen to this after we record this podcast. And I recorded a conversation with Christopher Price from WEEI, covers the Patriots. We talked earlier this morning. We talked about Revis, McCordy. We even got into Will Fork, a little of the AFC East stuff. So stick around afterwards. Enjoy this conversation here five days a week, DannyPicard.com. <laughs> All right, joining me now on the Skype hotline is Christopher Price from WEEI and WEEI.com here in Boston. He covers the New England Patriots. You can check him out on the It Is What It Is blog as well at WEEI.com. Chris, what's going on? How you doing today? Not much, man. It's my pleasure to join you today. I really appreciate the invite. Hey, I'm glad to have you on. Free agency begins today at 4 o'clock, though. You would have thought it began over the weekend with all the reports that we have of these guys signing. Uh, but with it officially beginning at 4 o'clock today, all eyes, not just here in New England, really around the league, are on Darrell Revis. Uh, the Patriots yesterday officially, I guess, the reports are they declined the $20 million option. But that's no surprise that the Patriots declined this option. Right, Chris? Yeah, no, I, I think when you look at the financial ramifications of having to, you know, it, even with a game-changing defensive player like Revis, having to deal with a, a cap hit like that, I think that makes the most sense. I will say this, though, in the wake of the deal that Sue got, the six years, $114 million, that he reportedly agreed to with the Dolphins, all of a sudden, that $20 million doesn't look as crazy as it once was, yeah. you know, when you're talking about a game-changing defensive guy like Revis. But yeah, ultimately, I think... When you look at today's climate, when you look at the fact that the Patriots still want to leave themselves, maybe some financial flexibility, when you're talking about guys like Vereen and, and Gerard Mayo and, and Danny Amendola, even those guys, those last two guys are in free agency, still want to be able to kind of create some financial flexibility. So I, I think ultimately, yeah, to your point, I, I think it was not a surprise that they ended up uh, declining the option. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point. You bring up Sue's contract and, you know, I- I don't actually hear a lot of people maybe even talking about that with regards to what Revis could get. And it, look, if I'm Revis, I'm looking around the league and I'm probably saying, forget about, you know, just my position. Let's look at, you know, every defensive play in the NFL and what they're getting. And that Sioux deal is pretty big, right? Um, so yeah, do you, yeah. I mean, if I'm Revis, I'm going to look at that. Do you think that's something that they're going to consider here if, if they do actually test the market? I think that's something that every defensive player should take a look at. I think that's something that every defensive player should take a look at, specifically when it relates to their shot at free agency. Those game-changing guys, obviously not everyone is going to come in that kind of deal, but I believe, remember correctly, Sue is just the sixth sixth non-quarterback to get a $100 million-plus deal. Uh, Some of those guys included, obviously, Sue, uh, J.J. Watt, those kind of guys. And it, it, it's not ridiculous to think that something like that, not for Revis right now at this stage of his career, but it's not ridiculous to think that down the road, uh, when you're talking about impact players like Sue, J.J. Watt, uh, you know, uh, whoever the case may be, you know, whoever's going to be the next great young cornerback, uh, you know, you have to start looking at those guys and you have to start looking at those kind of numbers. 
outside of quarterbacks, not just quarterbacks, but those those defensive players, those guys who have an opportunity to make a real impact on the game. And I think more and more you're going to start to see, because this is a pass-first league, I wouldn't be surprised to see a cornerback be the next guy to get that kind of deal. Yeah, and look, if there's any cornerback that changes the game, like some of those other defensive players that you mentioned, uh, Sue, J.J. Watt, it's certainly Darrell Revis, and we know that firsthand, Chris, watching the Revis effect on this Patriots defense last season, and I guess that's why I question why we are even to this point right now where free agency begins later on this afternoon, tonight, and we still are, we still don't there's still no deal in place multi-year deal for Revis and the Patriots when they sign this two-year deal I never expected them to to go with the 20 million dollar option and have him play under that part of the contract but I guess I just expected the way uh, it was said at the beginning I thought hey you know what they'll get something done during the season and and, and everything will be fine I mean and as you saw Revis and this defense play out the more and more I thought okay it's coming the extension's coming and then I'm like okay where is it all right, Marcus Cannon gets extended in the regular season. Okay, where's Darrell Revis's extension? So I, I'm I'm a little surprised that we're even to this point right now. Um, are you? And did you expect? Did you have the same mindset as me? Did you expect there to be a deal in place during the season, uh, or, or do you act? Did you actually look at Revis and what the Patriots usually do and say, you know what? No, this is business as usual for both sides. I think it was probably, when you consider Revis and you consider the Patriots, I think it was a little bit more of the latter. I think Revis has done his part to maximize his financial goals. Uh, I think, you know, that's a very polite way of saying that he's looked for every single dollar that he get over the course of his career. And when he's made those moves, he's not made those moves, at least historically, during the season. I think he's either waited, you know, before the start of the season, after the start of the season, when those contract moves have been made. As it relates to Revis, they've never taken place during the season, so it wasn't that much of a surprise. I also think Revis is, frankly, the kind of guy who bets on himself, and I think he wants to be able to, you know, go out there and have the kind of year that he had and have the impact year that he had, you know, winning his first Super Bowl, and then I think he prefers to let that record speak for himself as opposed to during the year. He was actually very closed-mouthed during the year, and, and you know this too, Danny, the fact that he didn't talk a whole lot about it over the course of the year. I asked him about it two or three times. I asked him once in June. I asked him a couple times during the season just about his deal and about his contract. And each time he kind of demurred and said, you know, this is, you know, you guys know the deal. You guys know the situation. You know, my contract is my contract and I'm going to play it out. You know, we'll kind of go from there. So uh, it was interesting that it was not a point of emphasis over the course of the year. And I, and I think part of that was because he was playing so well and it kind of got, you know, kind of forced into the background a little bit. But yeah, I, I do think it was interesting that, what what you said before, what point you touched on before, the fact that we didn't talk about it much really over the course of the year, and now it's become a story. I think part of that was because they were playing so well, he was playing so well, Mm. but I I do think in retrospect that, you know, maybe over the course of the season, the 2014 season, we could have said, hey, you know, any updates on Revis' contract? Yeah. I, I mean, I just I just expected it to happen. I just looked at it and thought, you know, don't worry about it. They know how good Revis is. They know how important he is. And, and the two-year deal, we're calling it a placeholder, you know, that second year. I say they'll turn that into, who knows, a three-, four-year deal sometime during the season. They haven't, and we sit here today on Free Agency Tuesday wondering what's going to happen with Darrell Revis. Speaking with Christopher Price from WEEI and WEEI.com here in Boston. Um, so what did McCourty's deal, what, is that, what type of effect does that have on what the Patriots could do with Darrell Revis? Does it have any effect at all on what the Patriots did re-sign a McCourty? I don't think it had a, a whole lot of impact. I think that, that when you look at McCourty, I think that, that he, these contracts never exist in a vacuum. But at the same time, I think it was absolutely vital for them to bring back McCourty. You know, McCourty is not Revis. He's not a pro bowler. He doesn't have the same level of, you know, across-the-board impact. But when you look at his history in the system, you look at his positional versatility, you look at his leadership skills, you look at everything that he brings to the table, his ball skills, uh, his work as a, a free safety, and then you look at the market for safeties this year, both in free agency and the draft, and that was a deal that had to get done. And I think it's interesting in retrospect that he left more money on the table with the Eagles to return to New England. So I think that, that, is, uh, that that's a huge win for New England, both in terms of just retaining the best free safety on the market and not having to pay maximum dollars, not having to try to one-up someone else's contract along the way. He did get a huge deal. I mean, he became one of the, the, the highest-paid free safeties in the league, if not the, the highest-paid free safety in the league at this point. 
Um, but but ultimately, it, that contract represents a win for the Patriots. Now, specifically as it relates to Revis, I think the two of them work very well together, and I think that's a huge deal. It's a huge upgrade. One of the things that I've been most impressed about McCourty is over the last five years, he's worked at multiple positions alongside multiple guys, and I think he knows what it takes. He has that sort of positional flexibility. He has, again, that knowledge of the system. His ability to work with someone like Revis, it cannot be overstated. So I think that specifically the contract, I think that's great, but I think when you look at those two guys, their ability to work together, their ability to work as complementary defensive backs, that's a huge part of the defensive success that the Patriots had in 2014. If they get Rebus here in 2015, that success will be able to continue. Well, I, I mean, I guess I'm wondering if the McCourty money, you know, will factor into what they actually have to give Rebus. We know where they are under the cap. Um, but at the same time, I guess what I want the Patriots to do is I don't want that to affect Revis. I want them to say, okay, we're going to give Revis the money, and even if it might be more than we have, we're going to make other moves elsewhere to make sure that money is available. Do you think the Patriots are going to have that strategy, or do you think they're going to put a number down and they're going to stick to that number and they're not going to budge? What, what do you actually think here is going to happen with Revis uh, now that, that it looks as if maybe he will see what his value is out there in the market. They have to be able to be financially flexible to Revis. I, I don't think the, I think the McCourty deal was separate, and I, and I think that they were willing to, they're willing to pay what they were going to pay to Revis regardless of what happens with McCourty. I, I think that those two deals are completely separate. I, I think that, again, you know, they work well together and they're great complementary pieces. But from a purely financial perspective, I think that the Revis deal and the McCourty deal stand separately. I, I really do. I think that the Patriots need to be financially flexible like they were with McCourty, apparently, according to the, the Mike Reese story where McCourty called him up and said, look, I'm going to go somewhere else. And Belichick said, look, we'll find some more money for you. I think the same thing has to happen here with Reeves. I cannot envision a scenario as it relates to Rivas, where they end up losing him for, you know, their three to five million dollars short, yeah. you know, to, to the Jets or whomever. So I think that they're going to do. They're going to use the same approach with Rivas that they used in McCourty, though. I, I honestly believe that because, again, I, I can't envision a scenario where they lose Rivas. I, I, I just don't see it happening at least right now, including to the Jets. I, I can't envision. I can't sit here and say, okay, well, you know, they ended up, uh, you know, coming up short. When it came to Revis, like they came up short when it came to you know Wes Welker, to use an example. So I, I think that they are going to find a way to get it done, whether it's by four o'clock today or you know a, a day or two down the road. I, I firmly believe that this thing is going to be wrapped up relatively quickly. I hope you're right, Chris. I I, I am sitting. Here, I hope you're right because you mentioned the Jets, and the one thing that scares the crap out of me, and I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks now with the you know the thought that. Darrell Rivas could actually test the free agent market. My one fear is that there's some GM out there that's going to get nuts, okay? And that's going to say, you know, screw this. We're giving this guy whatever he wants, and we're giving him 5 to $10 million more. And people keep telling me the Jets are the team. I'm looking at a team that, you know, a guy that scares me is Jerry Jones. I, they, you know, they yeah. could restructure Tony Romo's contract. He has the highest salary cap hit next year at what twenty eight million almost. Yeah. They could restructure that, yeah. and I think free up where they could have about who knows fifteen million more in cap space next season. They don't bring back Demarco Murray. I mean, that's I'm scared of a guy like that swooping in and saying, "Hey, screw it, we're gonna we're gonna give this guy whatever he wants to make him the highest pl- paid player in the game." The Cowboys are always a team that you have to consider with situations like this. I'm not saying that that they're in. By my understanding, I you know I I don't even know if they're a part of it. But yeah, I think you, know, you bring up an excellent point that there's always that one team out there that has the potential at the last minute to come in and knock everything sideways with a Godfather type offer. I think the other team that really needs to be considered here, and I wrote about this the other day, mm. is the Bills. I, I I don't know as we sit here, I don't know the level of their involvement or the level of their interest in Rebus, but they do have some financial flexibility under the cap. They can make some moves still, even with all the moves they made. They can still make some moves to make it happen. Plus, as we know, Rebus has a deep and abiding affection for Rex. And so I think that between the, the, the working knowledge of, of having had that background with Rex, 
I think uh, you know, having the financial flexibility, I, I think that makes them a possibility in all this. But, but yeah, I mean, these situations, you know this, these situations are so fluid. Uh, you know, everything can kind of change at the last minute. Uh, I just remember a couple of years ago, what was a couple of years ago, when, or last year, as we sit here talking about this, uh, you know, last year no one thought that Akeem Talib was going to the Broncos. The no. Broncos kind of swooped in out of nowhere, you know. So, uh, again, these things have a way of changing, you know, kind of turning on a dime. But, uh, you know, yeah, I think that there's a handful of teams out there who, you know, if the window was there, if the opportunity presented itself, would certainly jump in on a player like Darrell Rebus. Brandon Browna, Patriots are going to allow him to, to see what his value is around the league and then, you know, hope he comes back and they can somehow restructure. What do you think is next with that situation? Because, look, as, as important as Revis is to this defense, I think Brandon Browna came in after the suspension um, and, and he helped, you know, fix some things in this defense as well. Obviously, McCourty gave him a lot of help over the top this season at times, but Brown is that physical guy that even though he's going to get some penalty flags, you know, most of the time I'm going to I'm going to accept that physicality and accept the fact that he will get some penalties. I thought he was huge for this defense. Uh, what do you envision happen with Brandon Brown and the Patriots in the next couple days? Boy, he was a perfect number two corner. Yeah. In 2014, what I mean, he, he was really – you know, you want to talk about a guy who did a great job just kind of skating his lane and just kind of knowing, you know, what he needed to do to, to help the team succeed. I, I think he comes back. I, I do. I think he comes back, and I think some of that might be tied to Rebus. I think some of it is tied to the level of experience he had here in New England, and, and, and I think he had a very positive experience here in New England. Um, I, I do. I, I think they find a way to, to make it work with him. I think that, you know, it, it was a good faith move by them saying, look, you know, go out and test and see what you can get and then come back to us and, and, and see – you know, see if we can work something out. So uh, I, I do. I, I think when it comes to when it comes to uh, Browner specifically, I, I think Browner finds a way back here to New England, whether it's just on the last year of his current deal or they end up reworking something. But uh, I, I think he does come back ultimately to New England. One guy who's not coming back is Vince Wilfork, right? I mean, Devin McCourty says after he signs that he's going to do everything he can to keep Wilfork in New England. But let's face it, Chris, Wilfork's not coming back, right? Yeah, you know what, though? I... I, I I keep going back and forth on this, Danny. It's really interesting because we've written these things, it feels like a million times before. His, his professional obituary doing it. I remember this time last year, we're sitting here talking about, oh, you know, well, this is clearly the end for Vince, and he comes back and, you know, plays another year. Back in 2009, he didn't want the franchise tag. He got the franchise tag. He ended up working on a long-term deal. It just seems that, that these things have popped up year after year after year. And then the other thing that I always remember is they cut Troy Brown in 2005. In March of 2005, they bought him back in May, and he ended up playing another couple of years. The money is not nearly the same, but the historical precedent is there. If they wanted to do it, they could point to the fact, hey, look, we did it with Troy. Mm. You know, we could try and do it with Vince. And Vince is going to get that, – that, that's really for me. Vince has got a big question to face right now. He's going to get some interest around the league, particularly from old defensive coordinators, guys like, you know, and, and you know, guys who have been coordinators here in New England who have gone on to become head coaches, guys like Bill O'Brien. Yeah. You know, he's going to get some interest around the league, and I think what he needs to decide right now is, do I want to be, do I want to try and be a, an 80 to 90 to 100% snap a game guy, or could I be part of a defensive rotation going forward? And, and I think he needs to take a look at that right now as to what he can still bring to the table. There's no knock against Vince because what he did last year coming back from the Achilles injury was huge, was absolutely immense. But I think a defensive lineman, 33, 34-year-old defensive lineman, needs to kind of take a step back and reassess where he is, who he is at this point in his career. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see the level of interest he gets out there on the market. I think there is always that possibility. What's the Jim Carrey line from Dumb and Dumber? Are you telling me there's a chance? I think that there's like a point zero 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 one percent chance that he comes back to New England. It's always a possibility. But it's going to be fascinating to see what kind of interest he draws out there in the open market. Uh, one more defensive piece, and I, I will 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 stay with you. Your quote there from Dumb and Dumb. You're telling me there's a chance. Uh, I, I'm shocked that Patrick Willis is going to retire at the age of 29, 30 years old. Um, I, can, are you telling me there's a chance he could return at some point? Because I think this is kind of crazy that he's retiring. And if he is thinking about a p possible return, you know. I guess the question I ask myself when I hear this Patrick Willis retirement is, when do the Patriots sign him? That was like the first thing that I asked myself here. I mean, I'm I'm surprised that this guy is calling it quits, and I'm not so sure I believe him. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think that at that stage, I think, you know, 
at that stage of your career, you know, you're in your late 20s, you've still got some football left in you, you're, you're playing at a relatively high level for an extended period of time. I wouldn't be surprised to see Patrick Willis take a year off and, and get, you know, right physically and then kind of bounce back and come back in 2016 and say, look, I'm ready to go. I want to play again. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, maybe that was a little bit premature on his part. We all know, you know, athletes, especially football players, you know, they always get that interest. You know, they always get that itch when it comes to, you know, possibly returning. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Patrick Willis back in the NFL in 2016. All right. Offensively speaking here now with the Patriots, Shane Vereen, uh, things I'm reading this morning, Giants, maybe even the Jets. Um, have we ruled out his return to the Patriots? Is his price tag too high? What are we, what are we seeing with Vereen right now? I think it's awful tough. Uh, you know, I, I think that if you're going to pay Revis and McCourty and, you know, you're going to work out a new deal for Browner, um, I, I think unless you do some serious restructuring, uh, some other deals, and that's not to say that wouldn't happen. I, I just, I, I don't see that happening. I, I think the, the LaShawn McCoy deal and what DeMarco Murray is probably going to get out there, I, I think that Vereen isn't the same back, but I think, we're starting to see the running back market turn a little bit, and I'm not saying it's going to be all of a sudden incredibly robust, but when you look at a guy like Vereen coming off the year he had, only one of five running backs to have at least 50 catches and 50 carries, uh, you know, having the best year of his professional career, winning a Super Bowl title, I, I think he's going to draw some serious interest on the open market. Mm-hmm. I think he deserves to have a, you know, a tidy little payday uh, in terms of what he was able to produce here in New England the last couple of years. Also, too, when you look at the market, as well as the Patriots' historical approach to kind of plug and play at running back, uh, they they really they let running backs walk. They they have no they have no qualms about letting running backs walk out the door. And then you look at what they have and what they could have. You know, I, I know for a fact. Yesterday, I spoke with a, a very well placed league source who said that the Patriots have a serious interest in a guy like Roy Hellu. Uh, the, the running back out of Washington, who you know, a, a multi-dimensional guy, a guy kind of built like Vereen a little bit, who's a who's a threat out of the backfield, and you have to imagine that the Patriots have already started planning for life after Shane Vereen. And then you look at the guys they already have in the locker room, who are signed for next year: Brandon Bolden, uh, James White, Derek Blunt, Tyler Gaffney is still floating around out there. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't play at all last year, so. Uh, I'm not saying it's a done deal, but I wouldn't be surprised to you know find out that that Shane Marine has played his last game in the league. Yeah, look, go get the money. I mean, if you catch 11 passes in the Super Bowl for a team that wins that game, and again, what is he? One of five running backs in the league with at least 50 rushes and 50 catches. I mean. Vereen had a nice season, and and he certainly has proven to be versatile to the point where he can run and he can he can catch the football. So yeah, go get the money. Uh, and and I do think I agree. I, I think you know that is going to be elsewhere because that's going to be tough uh, to fit him under the cap if this team wants to do what they should want to do defensively, offensively. One thing they shouldn't want to do is sign Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson is going to be a free agent. My advice, Chris, to them would be stay away. Do you have the same advice, or, or are you looking at him as this big uh, wide receiver target? Is he the same guy? Should you expect him to be the same guy? And would you bring him in if you're the Patriots? I think he's going to get more money than what the Patriots are willing to pay him. I, I think that he's going to be a very attractive target in free agency. But I think that you know when you look at what the Patriots have, when you look at the market, and when you look at the amount of dollars the Patriots are going to be able to spend, I, I just don't think that it's going to be a good fit here in New England. The guy that intrigues me, and I'll say this, man, the guy that really intrigues me, I, I want to find out where he is and whether or not he has anything left is Reggie Wayne. Uh, you know, he's going to be 37 before the start of the year next year. You're going to be able to get him on a, you know, a relatively discounted package. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be able to you know, catch 80 balls, but I think when you look at his skill set, when you look at how Bill Belichick has talked about him over the years, when you look at how guys in New England have regarded him, over the course of his career, I think at the very least he kicked the tires on him. You know, I, I, and again, I'm not saying that he's going to be on the next plane in New England, but when you consider his history, when you consider the market, when you consider the level of affection that Bill Belichick has shown for him in the past, wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, at the very least make a call. But I think ultimately, to your point before about Andre Johnson, I don't think that that would be a fit here in New England. I think that, you know, we saw his brother tweet out, one of his brother tweet out last night, that, uh, you know, the Patriots are one of four teams that he would consider. But uh, unless he's willing to take probably below market value, 
I don't see that happen here in New England. Yeah, I mean, look, Brady threw four touchdown passes to four different receivers in the Super Bowl. I, I, I guess I'm not somebody that's sitting there saying they got to go get that wide receiver, but it's always been a topic of discussion, especially as Brady gets later in his career where we'll have people crying out saying, you got to get Brady weapons. Let's face it, Chris, though. Once the offensive line last year started blocking for Brady, all of a sudden, Brady's got all these weapons, right? You hear stories about Brady with, with the, the weapons that he has. And, and when you weren't hearing that story, it's because the offensive line was garbage and they couldn't block from it all in the first four weeks of the season. So what, what was the issue really? You know, is it, was it that Brady didn't have enough weapons or he just didn't have enough time in the pocket to, um, you know, to, to be able to spread the football around and find those weapons? I, I, I think, at least from what I see, it was the latter. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I think that, you know, you, you have guys like Brandon LaFell who started to get acclimated in the offense and started to, you know, feel a little bit more comfortable, and I think that helped. I think game planning helped, too. And I also think, uh, you know, our guy Ryan Hannibal wrote a couple of pieces about this over the course of the year. Brady's release time, uh, you know, dropped significantly over the course of the season. He had a quick trigger finger toward the end of the year, and I, and I think part of it, you know, yeah, I think something you know, there's something to your point. The fact that the offensive line came together and started playing better as a unit. I think when you looked at the numbers for those five starters out there, when you looked at when Stork was healthy, Wendell was healthy, Conley was healthy, the two tackles were out there. They were a really good offensive line, and Brady had really good numbers. Mm. But I think the problems came when Stork was out for a couple of games, or they had to lean on you know Klein or or Jordan Debbie or Marcus Cannon in there. I think when you were able to roll those same five guys out there and you had Brady, uh, you know, not taking a whole lot of time in the pocket, getting the ball as fast as possible, when you have guys like LaFell kind of getting up to speed and you have guys like Gronk becoming fully healthy, I think it all kind of works together. But, but yeah, I think the offensive line, you know, the fact that they gelled and they came together with a guy like Brian Strike, I think that played a huge role. That played a huge factor in all that. All right, Chris, uh, one more for you, and it has to do with the AFC East outside of the Patriots. You know, you got teams making big moves, as we talked about, Ndamukong Sue going to Miami on that big deal. Uh, last week, we talked about LaShawn McCoy getting traded to the Bills. You got Brandon Marshall going to the Jets. You know, I think one thing the Bills and the Jets don't have going for them is a quarterback. I know that the Bills went out and got Matt Castle, but that's, to me, that's not going to get it done. Uh, the Dolphins, to me, do have a quarterback, and a quarterback that I think is is still growing and still improving. I think the Dolphins are the best team in the division outside of the Patriots. Obviously, the Patriots are the top dogs, but I think after that, you get the Dolphins, especially with this Ndamukong Sioux signing. Do you see it differently? Uh, how do you view the rest of the AFC East with some of the moves that have been made? Right now, I go back and forth between the Dolphins and the Bills. I think that the Bills are going to be incredibly entertaining. You know, and that's to say that you know that they could finish I don't know six and ten, or they could finish ten and six because you know what Rex brings to the table. I think that Buffalo defense is going to be great. I think that Buffalo defense is going to be competitive, and I think that has a chance to really carry that team. I think when you look at the Bills specifically, Castle right now is a placeholder. Until, if you're a Bills fan, this is the perfect scenario, 2016, that's when a lot of really good veteran quarterbacks become unrestricted free agents, guys like Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers. I think if you're a Bills fan, you would love to see them go 9-7, and seven, maybe 10-6 and six this year, and then go out and get one of those guys. Good. Go out and solve your quarterback problem that way, or maybe find someone in the draft. The really, for me, and I said this yesterday, the biggest historical comp right now, at least on paper, saw someone tweet this the other day, to this Bills team could be the 2010 Chiefs team that also had Matt Castle at quarterback. They were 10-6, and six, they were a wild card team, they were one and done, but they were able to kind of get over the hump and get into the postseason. If the Bills make the postseason this year, even if they just go 9-7, and 10-6, they should throw Rex Ryan a parade up there in upstate New York because they're building towards something. I honestly believe if they could ever, find, if they could ever solve that quarterback situation, that would be a really good competitive team. I don't think that they're going to challenge the Patriots this year, but I think they're going to make things interesting. I think to your point, too, Miami is on the right track. They're headed in the right direction. You just want to be able to see them, if you're a Dolphins fan, stay healthy, put together a season where they go 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, they throw a little scare to the Patriots from time to time, but it's all about taking those incremental steps forward for both of those franchises right now. I think Tannehill is a really good young quarterback. I think Tannehill is a really important I, – I, you bring up a great point about Tannehill. I think this is a really important year for his overall development. It's going to be fascinating to see where the Dolphins go after the way they finish this year. But, but yeah, it, it, I, I think right now, 
had to choose between the two, I'd probably give a slight edge to the Bills just because of what they bring to the table defensively. All right, he is Chris Price. You can check him out at weei.com and weei 93.7 FM here in Boston, also on the It Is What It Is blog. Chris, uh, great job, and uh, thanks a lot, and hope to talk to you again soon. Sounds good, my friend. Take care. All right, there you have it, Chris Price, weei.com. Great stuff right there. Um, and, and really, as we've been recording this podcast, uh, there has been news on Revis, though not news that he signed with someone. News on another team interested, the Cleveland Browns apparently, are interested in Darrell Rivas. I mean, who wouldn't be interested in Darrell Rivas? But definitely, you know, realistically, not everybody can afford his price tag. But I think just seeing that the Browns could be entering the Rivas sweepstakes here uh, as we get closer to the 4 o'clock free agent official deadline, um, you know, the more you do have to start thinking outside the box and thinking of some other teams that, like I said, might get crazy and want to bring him in. The best thing Darrell Rivas could ever have happened to him is multiple teams here getting involved and basically driving his price tag up. So we'll wait and see what happens with that. But hopefully the Patriots will spend and spend big to bring Rivas back. But uh, tomorrow we'll break down everything that happened once the official free agent deadline began. Oh, I shouldn't even say deadline. I should call it just a time frame, 4 o'clock time that is when officially free agency begins we'll break it down tomorrow i'm here five days a week dannypicard.com close it out with uh, a story that you know we'll call it sports entertainment storyline i did mention yesterday the fights on nbc and the boxing and how at least you know they were similar the, the entrances to the fights on nbc they're trying to add more of an entertainment value to it and the entrances from the fighters, where they come down by themselves, it has a WWE feel to it. Now, that might not have gone over too well with the diehard fighting fans, diehard boxing fans, but um, I, I don't think you should be upset with the entertainment value that they're trying to give to it to attract viewers who aren't diehard boxing fans, and I think that's what they're going for with the Saturday night fights. And some of the audience that they may be trying to attract are people who last night would be watching Monday Night Raw. If you watched Monday Night Raw last night, there was a storyline that took place that I think behind the scenes has been a storyline that's realistic, which is that Brock Lesnar, who's currently the WWE champion, is going to go back to the UFC at some point, right? We know Brock Lesnar, his history, um, what, college wrestler, right, and then goes to WWE, wins the belt, goes to UFC, wins the belt, comes back to WWE, wins the belt. Um, obviously, different things. WWE, predetermined. Um, UFC, not so much. Uh, so we know the difference there. We get that. We understand it. But they're teasing this storyline now, which is sort of behind the scenes, uh, you know, somewhat realistic, that Brock Lesnar could go back to the UFC. People even have said, well, it's set in stone. He is going back. Brock Lesnar will be defending the title, the WWE title, at WrestleMania, which is coming up against Roman Reigns. Last night on Monday Night Raw, they, they took the, the storyline behind the scenes and, and they put it into the ring in the spotlight, on the air, and they did so because Paul Heyman is a genius, right? I don't know what, I honestly don't know what the WWE would do without Paul Heyman. I have no idea. They'd be, they'd be struggling right now, I'll tell you that much. Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman in the ring last night. This is when the WWE is at its best. It's when guys take the things that we hear in real life, that are real-life situations, and they bring them into the ring, and they get you thinking, wait a minute, is he supposed to be doing this right now? Is he going off script, right? Remember when CM Punk, really when CM Punk made the name for himself, to not to the diehard wrestling fans, I think everybody knew who he was, but to people who had kind of, you know, fallen off after the days of Stone Cold and The Rock, at least someone like myself, a guy like CM Punk brought me back a little bit when he had that, you know, that moment on stage where he's sitting up, uh, at the top of the stage, Cena's in the ring, and he's got the mic, and he goes, he throws the pipe bomb out, and he starts talking about things that, 
it seems like he's going off script, and they shut his mic off, and that's how Raw ended. And, you know, he was, CM Punk was all of a sudden the badass uh, who broke all the rules, who went against authority, and, and, and that, you know, it seemed like a real thing. It seemed like he went off script. That's, those are the storylines that, that are the best ones. Well, last night, we got to play audio because this is cool. You know, Paul Heyman takes the rumor of, and by the way, he begins it with a, a storyline because basically, here's the deal. Remember the Montreal screwjob? Bret Hart, he was leaving, right? And he's in Canada. Was it Survivor Series? And he's fighting Shawn Michaels. And they came down. They told him to ring the bell. And he wasn't supposed to lose the, uh, lose the title like that. Or whatever went down, whatever happened, basically, it would, they called it the Montreal Screwjob. Bret Hart got screwed. They ripped the title away from they knew he was leaving. If there's a concern that where everybody knows Brock Lesnar's going to the UFC, maybe they do a similar bit where they, they, they screw him over at WrestleMania and he loses the title, and it is sort of a real-life situation. Well, Paul Heyman took that into the ring last night, and I thought it was pretty cool. Here's the audio. Let me spell this one out for you. If anybody has it in their heads to pull a Montreal screw job on Brock Lesnar for the title at WrestleMania, my client assures me any single person involved in a Montreal scenario will not leave that stadium alive. The sheer beating that Brock Lesnar is going to give Roman Reigns at WrestleMania is going to make every single one of you respect Roman Reigns. Because when they're wheeling Roman Reigns down the street after the beating that he takes from Brock Lesnar, each and every one of you is going to say, yo, that's one badass Samoan. He took an ass kicking like nobody else I've ever seen. When Roman Reigns is doing... They shut off his mic. Well, at least that's what they try to play up. If they really set up his mic, they wouldn't turn it back on like they did uh, right about now. As, because Paul Hammond's in the ring at this point next to Lesnar, and here it is. He's tapping it. They turn it back on for him. But this is, you know this is where really it gets like good. what I like the most about this? I like how Oz, behind the curtain, or in the production truck, likes to shut off my microphone instead of coming down to the ring and taking it out of my hand. Instead of someone in a position of authority around here comes down to the ring and takes that title away from Brock Lesnar. And if you would like to take the title away from Brock Lesnar, go ahead, grab a leg, take your best shot. Because if Brock Lesnar wants to spend his summer unifying the WWE and the UFC title, that's what he's gonna do. <laughs> and, there you go. and you can the reaction of the crowd is like everybody in that building knows the rumors you know what I mean they know that he's going and they know they, they hear him talk about the Montreal Screwjob it's perfect you know Paul Heyman that's why he's great that's why he's the best that's why he's a genius he put that all together and now you get people thinking and now, now all of a sudden Wrestlemania is something you gotta see not just if you're a WWE fan but also if you're a UFC fan, right? And maybe ultimately it's Vince McMahon who's the genius in all this. I will give another storyline at WrestleMania that's cool that I didn't think originally was going to be cool. And Pete, you can agree or disagree with this one because I know, and you know what? This, I, I actually don't know. I know Keith Yandel, had him in studio. This was his guy. He said Sting was his guy. And Keith Yandel's a big WWE fan. Yeah, that was a surprising... Uh, I, I didn't think Sting was... Yeah. I, I just didn't think that was the case. I didn't think he was favorites. No. <laughs> um, but Sting is back. And he's going to fight Triple H at WrestleMania. And the storyline that they're promoting on us now is that Sting never came to WWE, which is true. He just came now. Sting was diehard WCW. And in his WCW days, he was the guy that fought against NWO, which was the new authority figure in WCW. That was the storyline. Sting came down from the rafters, beat up the NWO. He was the only guy in WCW that was able to do it, right? And, and throughout all of that, Triple H, remember they had the Monday Night Wars, Raw vs. Nitro? Triple H was one of the major parts of DX, which was one of the major parts of the WWE going against what WCW and NWO were doing on their station. So you had that battle going on, 
But now Sting has come to the WWE, and the storyline is not just that, but Sting fought the authority in WCW, and now Triple H is the, you know, the authority in WWE. Nobody can beat him. Cena, it doesn't matter. Nobody can seem to do it. Um, But now Sting is the guy that is going to end the authority in WWE. It's a storyline that... He's like the renegade. I didn't, I didn't think, yeah, I didn't think they were going to go with that storyline, but that's, it's cool. And I'll be honest with you, I am looking forward to that uh, as well. But, you know, the Lesnar-Reigns match just got a whole lot more interesting based on what Paul Heyman did last night. That's why he's a genius, uh, you know. And, and the UFC fans, look, I mean, could that, you know what would be cool? If they actually did that. If the WWE allowed that to happen, if UFC allowed that to happen, Brock Lesnar is the because look, he's not on, he's not at Raw every every week, he's not. And I actually, at first, I didn't know how I felt about that, but it is pretty cool because when he's not on, that means when he is on, it's a special night, it's a special moment. When he's in the building, uh oh, he's in the building, yeah, it's a special night. So if he's not there any week, every week, anyways, could he do both? Would they allow him to do both? And it just gets back to my original thought that the whole CM Punk storyline here is a complete storyline. And it's nothing but bullshit. And that this guy's going to be back and he's going to fight Brock Lesnar in the WWE. And look, if you're Dana White, would you, should you allow this to happen? Well, I think one thing the concern would be is if people start getting into the getting the thought that maybe UFC is somehow predetermined. I don't think the UFC guys would like it if Brock Lesnar was able to still be the WWE champion and bring the WWE belt down, right? But I think it would be cool, and I don't actually think it would be a bad thing for UFC because I think people know. People know when a guy really gets punched in the face or gets their arm broken off or gets choked out, right? People understand that. They, they can differentiate that by viewing it. And um, I just don't think it would hurt UFC. Clearly, UFC isn't running away from WWE guys. CM Punk's going to the UFC. I mean, who's he going to be fighting in his first match? Probably a, you know, somebody who, who isn't well-known or well-respected in UFC, right? If that, no, if that were the case, you, CM Punk would get dribbled in that octagon. He would. I mean, I think he would even tell you that. So I don't think they're going to throw him right into the fire. CM Punk's not going to be fighting a champ. You know what I mean? Or even a contender. So, you know, it's clear that the UFC is trying to take advantage of CM Punk's WWE publicity, and they're trying to, to, to do something with it. Um, so I don't think it would be a bad thing if they would continue to do the same with Brock Lesnar, right? I mean, I think that would be pretty cool if they would allow that to happen. I think WWE would allow it to happen. The question is, would Dana White allow that to happen? I don't know. And if he didn't, then certainly you'll see him, you'll see Brock lose the belt to WrestleMania. But they did make it interesting to the people that thought that was obvious. Well, he's going UFC, he's going to lose the belt automatically. Huh? They teased it, maybe not. This, this Saturday is UFC 185. Yeah. CM Punk, he's walking out with Anthony Pettis. Really? Yeah. So they're using yeah, the... They're, they're, they're throwing him uh, in there already. You know, and again, it goes back to my original thing. I'm, I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart, and I honestly believe that CM Punk is going to fight Brock Lesnar back in the WWE in two years at WrestleMania. Who, what's it, 31 coming up? WrestleMania 31? Is that what this is? Give me WrestleMania 33 and maybe even 34, and we might be talking Lesnar-Punk at WrestleMania. They're setting us up for the big match. And I do think that Dana White would be crazy not to at least entertain the idea of somehow being involved in that. Why not? Why not? How does it actually hurt? I don't think it hurts your product. Any publicity is good publicity, and they're certainly getting a lot of it. I mean, they're getting mentions in the ring on Monday Night Raw. That's what they're doing. So, um, yeah, you take the publicity where you can get it. I thought it was a pretty pretty cool moment uh, last night. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that moving forward, I would absolutely watch. Look, I'm going to watch Brock Lesnar fight again in the UFC, and it seems like he's going to do that. I'll watch CM Punk fight in the UFC. But then, I'll also watch them fight each other back at WrestleMania in a couple of years. It's going to happen. Don't you think? Don't you think that's going to happen? So CM Punk originally was supposed to fight as a middleweight, 185. Oh, they've changed it. So he's going down to 170, a welterweight. No kidding. That's how much weight he's, he's dropped. Hmm. Now, what do, you think that, what do you think the reason is for that? I, I think it's just he's just probably lost a lot of weight doing all his training. 
And so he probably lost a little weight, and he was like, but eh, you know what? It might be easier for me to continue just, to lose weight. But And the thing is, too, he's probably he feels he has an advantage over over guys at that weight level, too, mm-hmm. that weight class. Mm-hmm. We'll see. When's he going to fight? Do we know yet? I don't think they know. There's no date, but he's going to walk out this Saturday? He's walking out this Saturday with Anthony Pettis, who's fighting uh, Rafael Dos Santos for the main event okay. championship. We'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on NFL free agency. We'll keep an eye on the NBA and Stanley Cup playoff races as teams try to get in and uh, lock up their playoff seeds. We'll keep an eye on college basketball and the conference tournaments. Uh, Selection Sunday is this Sunday. Uh, So we'll keep you updated on all that stuff moving forward five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also listen on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash DannyPicard. Uh, special thanks to Christopher Price, weei.com, here five days a week, as I mentioned, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Four o'clock, that's the time. Officially, free agency begins, even though it really already has begun. But the more news comes out, the more we'll talk about it all week long. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.